This is an Odyssey original. This is the War in Ukraine Daily. I'm Charles Feldman. And I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. In a sign of how long Russia's war in Ukraine could last and as a symbol of American support, the president today asking Congress to fund a substantial military and humanitarian aid package for Ukraine, $33 billion. Even with a high price tag, Ukrainians will likely want and need more from us. Can we continue to deliver? And you'll hear from a new mother in Ukraine. Her name is Alessia. She gave birth to a baby girl in less than ideal circumstances. We'll get her story of having to flee the war while nine months pregnant. We start with a lot more American spending to support Ukraine's war effort against Russia. That $33 billion aid package is only expected to last for five months. So what happens after that if the war is still ongoing? Alex Ward is Politico's national security reporter and anchor of National Security Daily. So everyone is now thinking that this war, unfortunately, is going to drag on for quite some time. Funding military aid for Ukraine for just five months, it kind of seems like a a drop in the bucket, potentially. Potentially. But at the same time, you know, you've got to weigh the, the presidency and uh, the, the dogs of war here. So he's got other things going on. He's got COVID relief he's trying to pass. He's trying to fight inflation. So, of course, you know, do you, how much money do you really want to spend on Ukraine in this moment? Uh, plus, you also have to consider that the war might be different in five months, right? How is it still going to be fighting in the Donbass, or will it have turned to urban warfare? And if it has turned to urban warfare, then maybe you don't want to authorize as many tanks and heavy weapons as you did before. Um, so in this way, you know, you're, I, you, I think you see the administration balancing what a changing war landscape could look like, plus uh, domestic considerations. So how much in here is, is you know, actual military equipment, that kind of support, and how much is just money to keep Ukraine kind of afloat with day-to-day expenses? Because you got to keep your economy moving as you're fighting the war. So, it's, I mean, you've got about $16.4 billion for the Defense Department. You've got, uh, you know, many other billions for foreign financing based trying to wean countries like India and Vietnam off of Russian military equipment. You've got economic aid. I mean, it's not just all, you know, for for weaponry. It's kind of a all-encompassing pro-Russia, anti uh, pro-Ukraine, anti-Russia strategy. The thing that stood out to me actually, uh, and I just alluded to it, was the four billion dollars in foreign military financing. So basically, what the administration is, is is taking advantage of this opportunity to diversify Ukraine's military, get them to buy more advanced equipment, possibly from the U.S. And then also trying to get countries like India and Vietnam to no longer use Russian military systems, in part because the Russians probably don't have the parts that they used to have anymore because of the sanctions and the export controls. So it's kind of a savvy play by the administration to go, not only are we helping Ukraine, but we're really also trying to hurt Russia's defense ties and industry uh, as as we make that play. The the kinds of weapons that this money is going to buy... uh... Are they specifically the kinds of weapons that Ukraine can, uh, Ukraine uh, consistently says it needs, mostly offensive weapons, jets, or are these sort of more of the same, perhaps more sophisticated, but more of the same? Well, it looks like it's going to be a lot of, again, heavy weaponry. I mean, there's no jets in here, but as of now, you know, the U.S. doesn't have the Soviet-era jets that Ukrainian pilots are used to flying. Those are in Europe, right? Those, are, those belong to European nations. So they're the ones who could send it over to Ukraine. Um, in this case, uh, what we're really doing is, you know, sending ammo, uh, heavy weaponry, 
uh, some more training, some how, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, a lot of the same stuff we've been providing, but the, the real difference here is, you know, this is the sort of quality of quantity um, and quantity is the quality all itself. Uh, and $33 billion is just a lot. It's about half the budget, if you want to think of it this way, of the State Department and U.S. Uh, Department of Inter- uh, for International Development, or even more than we spend on the Space Force. I mean, it's a lot of money in military and economic aid that we're sending uh, Ukraine's way. So in terms of the lawmakers that have signaled so far, is anybody doubtful about this, or is everybody still on that same page of, yes, this is, this is necessary, we have to support these guys? So support in Congress is extremely strong. The, the question is, you know, does do the Democrats try to link the Ukraine bill to the COVID bill or try to separate them? Uh, one advantage, and you can hear from the de- Democratic leadership, is, well, because there's so much support for Ukraine, if you link the COVID bill, which is you know, a lot more controversial and there's less unanimity, then, you know, but if you link them, then it might sail through. Uh, if you separate them, you might get Ukraine, but you might not get the COVID bill. And of course, the administration wants, wants that through as well. Um, Biden seemed a bit ambiguous, or not ambiguous. He seemed to not necessarily care. He was like, yeah, put them together, separate them. I don't care as long as they pass. So this is now sort of in Schumer's court and Pelosi's court. You know, what, what makes the most sense and what can they get done? Alex Ward, Politico's national security reporter and anchor of National Security Daily. Since the start of the invasion, we've been bringing you stories of ordinary Ukrainians, how they are coping with their country under attack. We've talked to a lot of Ukrainian families thrown into disarray by the chaos and having to flee the Russian troops and try and stay safe in the process. Today, we're going to tell you about a family that managed to grow and expand during the invasion. Alessia was nine months pregnant and expecting her baby girl to arrive soon when she went to bed in her Kiev apartment back in February. She woke up the next morning to Russian bombs falling on her city. Alessia told her story to Bridget Quinn at our sister station, 1010 Winds. When a baby girl named Kira grows up, she is going to have quite the story to tell. Her mom gave birth to her after fleeing Ukraine. Newsline spoke with Olesa Ostafyava before she gave birth, and she joins us live again this afternoon. Olesa, so good to have you here. You have a baby girl. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. And if you would just uh, remind our listeners, you were, what, nine months pregnant already when you left Kiev? Yeah, yeah. Uh, before one day, uh, before start war, uh, was my baby shower. So at midnight, I go to bed with a great uh, mood, uh, with a lot of balance in my apartment and uh, with a lot of presents uh, um, and uh, and at uh, 5 a.m. I uh, wake up with bombs after that. And then you knew you had to get out and you had quite the escape. I know you had to drive four days to Poland and then you managed to land at Kennedy Airport here in good old New York on March 8th and uh, well two and a half weeks later you gave birth and Can you tell us a little bit about the birth itself? I understand that you were accompanied by the friend who took you in, in New York. Yeah, uh, in New York live my close friend Anna. She lives here for seven years and I visited uh, she in August um, last year uh, and I was pregnant uh, at the time and we... um, 
as she said me that uh, very good to go to walking with uh, stroller in the park and we dream about my visit to New York after delivery but it happened um, with war uh, I have a contract uh, had contract in Kyiv with the best uh, Ukrainian clinic but my maternity hospital was bombed on uh, fourth day of the war so I decide to leave uh, Ukraine and uh, looking for other maternity hospital and uh, Anna said me that I can to came uh, to, to go to her and uh, do it in New York. Right and so she was actually with you in the hospital. Is it true that the two of you started singing yeah. when you gave birth? Yeah, she was with me as uh, she and uh, her friend uh, Alina was with me when uh, Kira came to this world uh, and uh, they helped me uh, so much and now I'm staying in her apartment and waiting for uh, birth documents uh, because I want to return to Poland and go to Kiev father after you want to get back to Kiev yeah. like soon, soon? As soon as possible. Mm. Now it's not, uh, it's dangerous, it's still dangerous now. Yes. Uh, but my parents in Donetsk and my sister in Poland uh, and all of us want to return to Kiev. You want to get back there and have your little girl grow up there. Before we go, is she a good little baby? Is she a good sleeper? Yeah, yeah, she's she's she on my hand now, and she sleep now after her lunch. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, I don't want to wake her up. Uh, so, uh, just again, congratulations to you. So happy about the birth of little Kira and uh, Olesa. We thank you for speaking with us again here at Newsline. This is an Odyssey original. Find us and others on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher.